I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be reading two passages this morning, Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 1. We're not going to be reading all of Isaiah chapter 9 as it is a very long chapter, but we will be reading the first part of Isaiah chapter 9 and the first part of John chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 9 will be found on page 1072. And John chapter 1 is on page 1645. We will begin reading Isaiah chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord that we will contemplate this morning. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And if we turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We will read through verse 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning... Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. 
Let us pray that the Lord would bless this word as we contemplate it this morning. Almighty God, as we have read your word that we are going to discuss and comprehend this morning, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your grace that our hearts may be enlivened. May they be quickened with the Holy Spirit. May our minds may be engaged that they may be bolded. Our wills be shaped according to yours. Lord, we ask that as we hear your servant speak, that your truth would go forth. That your name would be praised. That your people would be blessed. And that you above else would be held as glorified. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. People of God, brothers and sisters, beloved in Jesus Christ. Many of you know I recently moved. Um, The house that I had been in for 29 years in Hazelcrest, and I have now shifted, and I now live in Munster, Indiana. The first couple of nights were interesting, because it's an unfamiliar place. If I was back in my house in Hazelcrest, and everything was the way it was, I could walk to the bathroom, not turn a light on, it wouldn't be a problem. As soon as I got up out of bed, took a step forward, and walked into the drywall, I realized that I was not in my old house. (laughs) Darkness does that to us, doesn't it? Everything that was once familiar is now completely unfamiliar. Things that we easily could see during the daytime, well, we can't see them at all at night. Our two passages this morning talk about light and darkness. In chapter 9 of Isaiah... The words gloom and darkness, people walking in darkness, reign prominent. And that contrasts with a light that is coming. This Advent season, the prophecy about Christ from Isaiah 9, which was then echoed in Matthew 4, and again in words of John, closely used in John 1. Demonstrate to us that it was Christ that is the light to all men. And so this morning we're going to talk about darkness, what types of darkness there are in this world, and how Christ is the light to all men. We're going to talk about first those who were in darkness, and then the deep darkness, and finally the light that reveals page. Finally, the light that reveals and the light that invites. So first, those who are in the darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 opens up that there are a particular type of people that are in darkness, and it is those in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. They are in what he describes as gloom. Well, that's an interesting word to put it. And first of all, why would the people of Zebulun and Naphtali be in gloom? Well, first of all, Isaiah is talking about not just his own instance, but also an instance in the future. And even in Isaiah's own instance, the people of Zebulun and Naphtali were part of the ten northern tribes. Part of the ten northern tribes that right after... Solomon's death 
completely ejected themselves from the covenant and said, we don't want to be under the Davidic covenant anymore. We don't want to have a Davidic king anymore. We're going to follow Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was more than happy to place temples in Bethel and Dan, place golden calves in them and said, we're still honoring the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're just going to do it through the golden calf. Israel obviously didn't know their history because they had already tried that once back at Sinai. Didn't really go well, did it? But in the land of Zebulun and the land, in the land of Naphtali, we don't hear about that much. We hear a lot about the hill country of Ephraim. We hear a lot about uh, a lot of prophets that go here and there and they, they speak to Ephraim and they speak to Samaria and they speak to Manasseh and they speak to... Every other tribe, but we don't really hear much about Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali were not known as places where prophets came from. Places of great teachers. In fact, Zebulun and Naphtali were kind of the lesser brothers, so to speak, when it came to truth and prophets, and light. And in fact, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali were more often battlegrounds than anything else. When the Assyrians came through, they went right through the heart of Zebulun and Naphtali, coming down from Damascus. It was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali where the people of God first got a taste of what was called Assyrian conquering. They were wiped off the face of the earth. Zebulun and Naphtali became a land of a mixing, a melting pot of Jewish and non-Jewish people a place where they didn't quite get what the gospel was. And they thought, well, the place to obviously worship is in Samaria, not Jerusalem. Jesus himself encountered that, the woman by the well. We say that there's this mountain. You say the place to worship is in Jerusalem, the temple. Jesus says quite simply and quite plainly to this daughter, you worship what you do not know. And that is the first type of darkness, the darkness of ignorance. Now I have to give credit where credit is due. I have to thank the esteemed Dr. Charles Spurgeon for guiding me in this sermon. But I think some of his points and some of my points that kind of mesh together are where this passage really, sorry for the pun, shines. But the deep darkness of ignorance is where the darkness first shows its ugly head. 
How many times do we hear, well, what about that innocent person in the Congo or the innocent person overseas that has never heard of the gospel? How can you call them condemned? Are they not also living in darkness? The darkness of ignorance. They don't rightly know how to view the world because they've never been given the spectacles of Scripture to see what the world is really like. They have a darkness of ignorance and they try to work and walk their way around this creation without knowing that there's a creator. Their minds and eyes have been darkened. That's the first type of darkness. And the people of Zebulun and Naphtali had that same darkness. And where does Christ go? According to the scriptures, according to our passage here in chapter 9 of Isaiah, when he goes to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew 4 puts it even more explicitly. When Jesus had heard that John had been put into prison, beginning at verse 12, when Jesus had heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the land of darkness, the light shines. But those who live in the darkness of ignorance can only be ignorant so long as they have not been exposed to the light, to the gospel. You can only call it ignorance if there is no knowledge or if they've never encountered the knowledge. Instead, those who have encountered the knowledge, well, if they're still in the dark, they've gone into deep darkness, the darkness of error. This is not just darkness of ignorance. This is not just darkness of, well, I didn't know, like the little three and four-year-old I grabbed a cookie off the plate before dinner. Well, I, don't you know you're not supposed to have cookies before dinner? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Even though you told them two hours before you can't have a cookie before dinner. But even then, it's the person that, as dinner's being set on the table, they go and grab the cookie anyway. The darkness of error, willful disobedience is a deeper darkness. A darkness that isn't just that which is obscured or maybe shadowy or gloomy or hazy, but instead this is a deep darkness. Instead, this is the darkness that Paul talks about in Romans 1. 
He says, because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women or were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts and received themselves in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This isn't merely the darkness of ignorance. I just don't know. This is a darkness of error. A total, a total darkness of depravity where they wrap themselves in it so that now no light can break through. They know that there's light over there. But instead, they'd rather fill themselves to the gills with every type of evil. Isaiah uses the words, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew takes that into the Greek and actually gives it a little bit of a different bent. And he says that those reside or sit in darkness. The way the NIV translates it as the people living in darkness. This is not a darkness that is merely out there to these people. This is a darkness that is so familiar to them that they live in it. They walk in it. They surround themselves with it. The darkness has become normal. And the evil that is outside, they kathemai. They live in it. They identify with it. Isn't this where our country is now? So often you can just walk down the street, talk to people. And you see them not just, well, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make my way. And I got caught up in something. Well, you know, I, I, I understand I was supposed to do this and I instead did this. And, you know, I, it's, you know, I, I kind of fell into the wrong crowd. No, many people would rather list themselves as a thug 
as a gangster. It's cool to have done time. Even on these streets right here, I was just talking to somebody where he, he wanted to be a rapper. And I said, well, you know, what, what's your plan to be a, raptor, a rapper? Are you going to, you know, go to Nashville or L.A. or something? Like that? He goes, well, you know, I need, to, I need to get street cred first. So, you know, maybe I get tangled up in something, I'll do a little time, and then when I come out, now I've already got a group that I can give my music to. Like, how is that a path to success? They identify with the darkness. How many people today have no problem calling themselves one thing or another because, oh, it's cool. Oh, it's popular. How often do we see, even in the church, people would rather go with the mainstream. People would rather align themselves with people who openly and blatantly disregard the law of God. Because, well, you know, we need to minister to these people. But yet they have no problem identifying themselves as, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm with my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. How often do we, as the people of God, get caught up in these things and identify ourselves with these things because, well, you know, it's just part of my ministry. And we wrap ourselves in this darkness. And our minds start bending toward it. We no longer see the light of Christ, the light of the Word. But you know, I gotta make ends meet. I mean, how am I really doing missions and evangelism if I don't hang out with people? Identify with people. You know, lump myself in their group a little bit. Because, you know, they'll never listen to me unless I do this. People of God, we've been given the hardest call ever. Be in the world. But not of the world. And we see what the consequences of that darkness is. I love the, the word that Isaiah uses, the gloom. And Dr. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says that the people in this deep darkness aren't just sitting in deep darkness, but they have been surrounded and enrobed by the gloom of discomfort and sorrow. The consequences of their actions, the consequences of living in the darkness, is the sorrow that comes with it. 
the discomfort, the pain, and the agony. And finally, that leads to one ultimate thing. Fear. Fear that takes over the depraved and distorted mind. A fear of the light. A fear of the gospel. It's a fear that I have seen even in friends of mine where they grew up in such a legalistic household that Jesus was not preached and they turn away from the name of Christ and it is such a vile insult to them that they are aggressive against the gospel. And it breaks my heart because they don't just surround themselves with darkness. They surround themselves with darkness and their mind is trying to make sense of all these things that don't make sense and they're just trying to fit pieces together that can't possibly work because they have no understanding of what God has done for them. And they talk to a therapist and they talk to this person and they talk to that person but they will never listen to anyone who ever talks about Christ. They shut them out instantly. Sometimes I've extended a hand and my posts, my comments magically get deleted. They are so adverse to the gospel. They're so adverse to the comfort of Christ that they would rather wrap themselves in the gloom and despair and totally reject any semblance of Christ. And I've alluded, it, I've alluded to it earlier in this, in this sermon, but there's only one solution. There's only one possible way that that fear can be dispelled, that that mind can be corrected, that the discomfort, the pain, and the sorrow can be released. And comfort can be restored. And that's the light that reveals. It's a light that reveals the world around to a darkened mind. There's no more ignorance. You claim to not have knowledge and yet when there is light, observation is easy. It's so much easier to walk downstairs when you have light. Well, at least walk downstairs safely when you have light. Getting down the stairs in darkness is not a problem. Standing up at the end usually is. But it's also a light that guides. It's a light that reveals the world correctly around it. And John Calvin talks about the spectacles of Scripture that we put on so we can see the world around us correctly. But it's also a light that guides. Psalm 119 says, Your law is a light to my path. 
There is no possible way of turning when there is a light that guides. And so you know what right and wrong is. You know what that moral standard is. You know what the right and the left is. And you know what the middle of the road is. You can easily see the world around you and you know the path you are taking because the light shows you and the light displays. So there can be no more ignorance and there is no more excuse for error. But what is the consequence then of this light? Well, because it's easily observable, Because it has a guidance, first of all, there's an assurance. The light of Christ revealed to the world is not something that flickers and pops. It's not just a spark that you can kind of see here and there like ashes floating from a fire. Instead, the light that is here is a bonfire big enough to spread the entire world. There is no possible way you can miss what this is. There is a constant light. Christ did not come into the world merely to look at it, to sympathize. But he came into the world to lead the world, to guide the world, to bring the world to atonement, which is a funny word that we've made up in English, at one meant atonement. It is a light. He is a light that shows wondrous things. In John 1, we are told, no one has ever seen God, but, the one, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. There is no excuse to not knowing who God is when the light has explode, explained him to you. Hearing the word of God and being party to what it does in the life of another person shows that there cannot be ignorance. It cannot be error. But that there is an assurance, not just for the past, but also for now. And ultimately for the future. It is a light that warms. It is a light that does not shun and bring out into the cold night streets, but instead it is a light that brings warmth. And family. Instead of those lost wandering in the darkness, you are now brothers and sisters in Christ. The body of Christ brought together, the family of God under one name. But it's also a light that cheers, it dispels sorrow. Because when one body, when one part of the body hurts, so too does the rest of the body. 
And that sorrow that is felt is then felt in community, which then brings forth hope and joy. And when one part of the body feels joy, the rest of the body feels joy. We saw this even in our own congregation this year. There were those who lost family members, brothers, sisters, parents. But we saw that the family of God was brought around them. That there is still love to be shown. But we also saw joy, did we not? We saw the birth of baby boys and baby girls. The joy of new life. And the hope that God brings to this dark world. Christ is a light that warms and cheers. Out of my darkness, sorrow and gloom, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. There is no more despair. There is no more ignorance. There is no more sorrow and gloom. But rather we have a light that equips and secures so that we as children of God can hold forth that light like shining stars in the darkness. That those around us may have the light that guides, that warms, that secures. Because we have a Christ, an anointed one, a King of kings and a Lord of lords that invites the world. There is no qualification to being invited to the body of Christ. There is no checklist where you have to go, okay, so your pedigree is what? Your financial status is what? Your social status is what? No, instead I can show you all the qualifications on the error that my printer made. It's a blank piece of paper. There's no qualifications to being a brother or a sister in Christ except for one. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That is the call that goes out from this pulpit this morning. That is the pulpit that should go out from this church through the doors every time we leave. And that is the call that should go out from our lives every day we live to the people around us. The open arms of Christ, the light of the world shining in the darkness. That is the light that came in Bethlehem. That is the light that fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. That is the light that preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
like the preachers of old. May we shine that light in this world. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And that light is coming back. Brothers and sisters in Christ, amen. Let it be, let it be. Maranatha. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, light of the world who came down into darkness, we come to you, we praise you, Lord, asking that you would be the light that shines to all men, that you would be King of kings and Lord of lords to those who need you most, that darkness would not overtake but that light would shine forth. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified as we leave this place, that your name would be praised, that your people would be uplifted, and that, Lord, ultimately the gospel may go forth, that in the fullness of time you shall come again with glory. You will judge the living and the, and the dead. And we one day will be in that place where there is no more night. Where we shall see you face to face. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The light of the world. Amen.